Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, we're, we're delighted to see you all here today. Um, call your attention to the pew pads. Please sign them so we, we, know, you're, we know you're here. Um, I think there's just one announcement today, Ron Pollock. Morning. Thanks, Dave. Um, I, a, few, a few months ago, I told you about my friends, the, the Haspels, that uh, were, are uh, Presbyterian missionaries in Ethiopia that were, were shot by a man coming out of the bush. And I just wanted to give you a brief update. They, after 26 weeks in, in uh, South Africa, receiving medical care there, they are back in Kansas and refi- receiving follow, following um, medical treatment, and, and, uh, but they are recovering very well, and they're very grateful for all the prayers and support they received along the way, and just praising God that, that things are as good as they are. So just to continue to keep the hospitals in your prayers as they continue to convalesce and, and try to discern what God would have them to do in the future. Also, um, son Adam survived his, his uh, week of being four people and, and covering all the, the bases at, at the home in, in Kenya. And uh, he says he's sure that it's your prayers that kept him afloat. So just wanted to thank you for, for doing that. And do remember him again this week because this week is the week he plans to go to uh, Nairobi and, and try to collect his pass that they're not processing and, and just pray that they actually process it and he gets his paperwork to remain there and, and do the task that he's doing. Thank you. I call your attention to the fact that our Stephen minister today is Alice Swetman. Uh, if there are no further announcements, Bruce, would you prepare us for worship?
Our souls wait in silence as we anticipate an encounter with God. My soul waits in silence for God, the source of my hope. My safety and my fortress, why should I be tense with fear? My protection and success are assured, I can never suffer defeat. People of low and high estate are all alike to God. A breath, no more. We Do not put your trust in violence or in scheming, even though your riches increase. Do not depend upon them. We More than once I have heard it said, it is for God to be strong, to be loving and kind, rewarding each one for the work that is done. We trust in the cover of God's protection, let us worship God. Please join me in prayer. Holy God, you brought light into the darkness of the earth through Christ Jesus. We gather to worship you who continues to create a new order and a new world through him. We are slowly changing 
Old things are passing away, and the new is coming, as surely as day follows night and life follows death. Help us to see and embrace the vision you have as we seek to be open to ongoing conversion in our lives. May we be partners with Christ in spreading your hope throughout the world. Amen. We've just sung it, and we've praised God, the God of grace. Now let us show with our confidence by showing our prayers to the God of grace that we do believe that God forgives us. Together, let us use this prayer of confession. Transforming God, we confess the struggle within us. We both desire and fear change. We are dismayed by things we see, hear, and experience that seem to be contrary to your way of mercy and justice in the world. We resist life as ongoing process and are reluctant to accept the change that is built into the very fabric of creation, the old order passing and giving way to the new. We confess our need for your spirit to enable us to let go of what is passing and to embrace what is coming. Forgive the weakness of our faith, which leads to doubt. Forgive us and change us and call us again to follow our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. In Jesus' bearing the cross for our sake, in dying and rising into completely new order, was established for us and for all creation. Christ opened the way for us to let go of the old life with its sin and regret and to embrace, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, a changed life. By faith we trust we are forgiven through our risen Lord. Amen. may be seated. The first reading today from the book of Jonah comes from Jonah chapter 3. The book of Jonah is a folktale parable which mingles fantasy and reality rather freely. It's dated some three to five centuries before Christ and it focuses on the meaning of the Hebrew experience in exile in Babylon and asks the major question, does God really forgive? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. And when God saw what they did, 
how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Craig Kunkel is coming up to the front, and he is bringing a number of children with him. And these are the children who are going to be receiving Bibles today. And they're going to also sing for us. So, Craig, come on up. Would you like to have a microphone? We, we can give you one. And that way, because you have some Bibles to pass out to folks. Yeah. The four-year-olds have been practicing a song for us, and you can join in after it starts if you feel inclined. Everybody knows the words. You ready? Okay, guys, this is your very own Bible. You get to take it home, and it has little stories in it so you can read it every night before you go to bed. Well, I'm glad you have those Bibles. That's really important. Um, And I hope that your family helps you with those. And if your parents say to you, there's something we would like to read to you tonight. We'd like to read you a story. You can always pull out one of these Bibles, and they could read you that story, too. Now, before you leave too much, I'm going to invite the other children to kind of join us up here, and you can all have a seat and sit down. That'd be good. I brought a couple of my favorite bears today. And I'm going to tell you why I brought them. Because I have learned, particularly for girls, there is a movie that everybody has been seeing and singing all the music to, and it's the name of the movie is Frozen. You've seen Frozen? Does it? And what is the big song from Frozen? What are the words to that song, do you think? Let it go. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of times we ought to let it go, you know. That's a message for your parents, too, you know. There are times when they get upset. Just let it go. I think that would be good. We heard, we heard one of the men in our presbytery this week. He was 84 years of age, and when the presbytery started to get a little contentious and the meeting could be angry, he started to sing all by himself, let it go. It was wonderful. 
Now, there's a new movie coming, and uh, it concerns this fellow. Paddington. This is Paddington Bear. You're going to see Paddington today? Well, here's Paddington now, and, and you don't know who this is, but this is Aunt Lucy. And Aunt Lucy is the one who sent Paddington to London uh, from deep, darkest Peru. And only this Aunt Lucy used to have a pair of glasses, but one of the glasses got ripped off, and now she looks like she has a monocle rather than a glass. But this is, this is a kind of an interesting movie. She entrusts Paddington to London. Guess where this Paddington was purchased? We bought Paddington at Paddington Station. Yeah, so this has come a long way. It's a wonderful story, but I thought one of the things that are special about teddy bears like this is that they are very loved. I think that's why Aunt Lucy lost part of her glasses. Aunt Lucy was loved a lot at our house and hugged a lot, as was Paddington. And the reminder to us is that you are cared for and loved a lot, too, by your parents, by people here at the church, and by God whom you can't see but sometimes can feel. Let's give thanks to God's love. Lord God, we give you thanks for loving us and even giving us the Bible, your word, so that we can know you better. Help us to love you by what we do and what we say. And when we feel angry, help us to let it go. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to sing one more time? That would be good. And, and if you sing Jesus Loves Me this time, would it be okay if they sang too? And when you get to that part, He is strong... He, no, you got to say it louder, too. He is strong. I think that would be good. I'll come back. great time in Sunday school today. We're glad that you're up here.
bar, so thirst for God, for God alone I wait. My enemies may chase me down, love shields me from their hate. God is my rock. God is my strength, God is my salvation, my refuge, my abiding peace. I shall not be shaken. Such a gift music is. Thank you, James. And thank you, Bruce, for making that call and response so very clear to us in your opening prelude this morning. Our Corinthians text is Paul writing to each and every one of us. I invite you to hear God's word. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no possessions. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present time of this world is passing away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. 
The unison prayer for illumination this morning invites an antiphonal method of prayer, an ancient method. So I'm going to invite the men to read the first paragraph and the women to pray the second paragraph and all of us pray the third paragraph. Let us pray together in unison, men. Jesus, you once called disciples, choosing twelve to follow you. Simon, also known as Peter, Andrew and Bartholomew, Philip, Thomas, James, and Matthew, Simon, Thaddeus, John, and James. Then there was the one called Judas. These were your disciples' names. Lord, so many heard and followed, like the women at the well, meeting you the living water, she sought others she could tell, like the boy with loaves and fishes, like Zacchaeus in the tree. Many gladly heard your message, many shared your ministry. Jesus, still you call your people, come and follow me today. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of the Lord. Rod, you've been with us uh, eight weeks today. And uh, it's been wonderful having you here, not only to assist us with worship, but also to be teaching. And this is uh, the last week of Rod's classes. And uh, if you haven't been there, you've really missed something special. Thank you for being here. I'm going to sum up what I have to say this morning with one sentence. When we are exhausted by excessive choices, God provides rest and peace. With that as a thought, we're going to wander around. Let's say that you need a toilet brush. Earlier this week, I entered the words toilet brush on the Amazon website and found out that at Amazon you have 
1,161 different kinds of toilet brushes. I have no idea how many choices they're going to have this week, but it was a lot. 1,161. Not just 10, not 20, not 500, but 1,161 choices of toilet brushes. That is a lot of scrubbers for the central piece of porcelain in a water closet, don't you think? I talked to a woman at the mall and asked her if she could buy a toilet brush, where would she go? And she told me she had to make that decision last week. And happily, she went to the Dollar Tree and bought there the only toilet brush they offered. And she was happy. She said it turned out to be just the right one. You see, when we have so many choices, we suffer from decision fatigue. We love having uh, choices in the 21st century of America, but too many options exhaust us. Even worse, they can make us unhappy and cause us to flee from making decisions. Researcher Barry Schwartz calls this choice overload. And it's not just choosing toilet brushes that can overwhelm us. Even worse, an abundance of choices in our creative and professional lives causes problems. Years ago, if your last name was Baker, you worked as a baker. Then if your last name was Carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your last name was Smith, you were a smith. Potters made pottery. Farmers worked in fields. But today... A young woman named Jessica Baker can be anything from an attorney to a zoologist. And a man named Jeremy Carpenter might choose to build houses, but he also could be in the Coast Guard or work for a cable company. There are more than, well, thousands of occupations available. Our country is a land of choice. Maybe you remember Yakov Smirnov. He had a routine based upon his impressions of the United States after fleeing the Soviet Union. One thing made a big impression on him was the sheer variety of choices in American supermarkets after the many empty shelves of Soviet-era grocery stores. Here is one of his observations. He said, on my first shopping trip, To the grocery store, I saw powdered milk. You just add water, you get milk. Then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water, and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder. And I thought to myself, what a country. (laughs) Choices. We have tons of them. And unfortunately, writes Schwartz, as the number of options increases, the cost in time and effort of making good choices also increases. And we are presented with more and more choices. The level of uncertainty we have about our final choice rises. The more choices we have, the more anxiety we feel about the someday regretting the choice we made. 
In a famous jam study in Palo Alto, two tasting booths were set up in a grocery store. One contained five flavors of jam. The other contained 24 flavors of jam. People were six times more likely to buy a jar of jam if they saw six rather than 24. Too many choices can paralyze. I understand this. Most every Monday morning I face the choice of what scripture should be the focus of the upcoming Sunday. There are 23,145 verses of scripture in the Old Testament. There are 7,957 verses in the New Testament. You add them together, you've got 31,102 verses of scripture in the whole Bible. There are 1,189 chapters, and they contain 807,361 words. If, for example, you are to choose a passage with the word love in it and focus on that word as it appears in that passage, you would still have 807,360 words to go. That's a lot of Sundays. I start every Monday morning with decision fatigue. Often, Carrie and I limit our choices to a theme, like I am considering a focus on each phrase of the Lord's Prayer for Lent this year, or maybe all of the I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospels and New Testament. Sometimes we say, well, let's let somebody else help with the choosing. And so we refer to the common lectionary like we did today. That usually gives us a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from one of the Psalms, a reading from one of the Gospels, and a fourth reading from one of the other books of the New Testament. So today, we can look at the call of Jonah, the call of the disciples in Mark, a magnificent passage from 1 Corinthians that talks about our current time passing, or we could let Psalm 62 be our guide this morning. That's why we sang that very challenging new hymn that was really helped along by James playing on the piano. It was uh, Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. My hope is in him. You know what the common choice is for Presbyterians? Anything that deals with a sense of call. So I thought, why not turn to Jonah? After all, he had rejected God's call the first time. A Sunday school teacher was proud of her lesson for the day. She thought she had presented the material nicely, and summing up, she asked her class, And what did we learn from the story of Jonah and the big fish? And eight-year-old Susie thought for a moment and answered, Always travel by air. (laughs) Jonah is one of the most colorful, memorable stories in all of Hebrew scripture. Jonah, of course, was the man who got swallowed by a big fish, and one of Gary Larson's far side cartoons depicts a bearded man standing at the front door. There he is, dripping wet, his clothes are in shreds, his wife opens the door, she looks at her disheveled, bearded man with disgust and says... For crying out loud, Jonah, three days late, covered with slime, smelling like fish, and what story do I have to swallow this time? We usually put this tale down because it does not square with our reality of things, 
and we are sure to characterize this account of Jonah as myth. I believe it was Dwight L. Moody who said it was perfectly easy for a great fish to swallow Jonah whole. After all, said Moody, Jonah was one of the minor prophets. (laughs) Jonah was perfectly happy to preach hellfire and damnation to the people of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, because, frankly, they deserved it. Horrible people, nasty habits. They were Israel's longtime enemy, and because they were Israel's enemy, they were God's enemy. As long as God pushed the delete button at the end as promised, and served up obliteration of those miserable Assyrians, everything would be well. No need for any sermon. The Assyrians had humiliated and crushed the Israelites. They stripped them of their culture. They stripped them of their land. They terrorized God's precious people. And then we read that God describes Nineveh as a great city. Really? God held out the remote possibility that there was positive potential in the people Jonah despised. So he bolted. The mere notion of preaching to such infidels was enough to cause Jonah to skip town in order to avoid this assignment. But after the great fish regurgitated him on the sand, Jonah finally accepted God's assignment with all of the enthusiasm of a sullen adolescent. Jonah really didn't trust God, and we understand him in that because God does not always agree with our attitudes or our choices. A defense attorney was cross-examining a police officer during a felony trial. It went like this. So, officer, did you see my client fleeing the scene? No, sir, uh, but I subsequently observed a person matching the description of the offender running several blocks away. Very good, officer. Um, Who provided the description? Uh, Well, sir, it was the officer who responded to the scene. Ah, a fellow officer provided the description of the so-called offender. Do you trust your fellow officers? Yes, sir, I, I do with my life. With your life? Then let me ask you this, officer. Do you have a locker room in the police station, a room where you change your clothes in preparation for your daily duties? Yes, sir, we do. And do you use that locker in the room? Yes, sir, I do. And do you have a lock on your locker? Yes, sir. Now, why is it, officer, if you trust your fellow officers with your life, that you find it necessary to lock your locker room, the room that you share with your fellow officers? Well, you see, sir, we share the building with a court complex, and sometimes defense attorneys have been known to walk through that room. (laughs) 
trust. Trust God. Jonah spent minimal time on his conversion sermon. In fact, the message is a mere eight words in English. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now in Hebrew, it only takes four words. And you can just imagine the delivery. It probably has all of the minimal expression and enthusiasm of a Ben Stein lecture. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Voila! Much to Jonah's utter astonishment, the sermon is a breathtaking success. Out came the sackcloth, into the fire went all those little statues of fertility gods. Who knew that this whiny excuse of a preacher could move the sorry heathen of Assyria to sing, Just as I am, without one plea? Even the king of Nineveh repented and issued a decree of total surrender to the will of God. This is impressive. Anytime you get a politician to repent, you have really accomplished something. I just wish we could do it a bit more in Albany. This is a great passage. Jonah felt about the Ninevites like some of us feel about ISIS terrorists. Bible scholar William Neal in Harper's Bible Commentary describes Jonah as a man who is the embodiment of intolerance, bigotry, and a lack of human sympathy, and unwilling to change. Hot tub for sale, complete with plumbing. We'll trade for pickup. Call 666-4686 after 5 p.m. Now, one does not have to possess a Ph.D. in clinical psychology to suspect that behind those few words lies a life in major transition and change. Away with the GQ, the hot tub, the Rolex, the Hugo Boss aftershave, the iPhone, the Beamer, the wine coolers, and the avocado dip. In with the baseball cap, the Budweiser, the flannel shirt, the Old Spice, the Dingo boots, and the Ford F-150. One does not have to be trained in sociology to recognize that we live in a culture rife with choice and change and opportunity. We may not hear the voice of fish and smell the prophets, but people all across the map are becoming vegetarians, signing up for marriage encounter weekends, taking up jogging or sailing, leaving their spouses, changing careers, entering midlife crises, trying to become literate with social media apps, working on new relationships, giving up alcohol, getting into therapy, joining prayer groups, learning to be more assertive, and making scores of other adjustments to reset their compasses on their life's journeys. From toilet brushes to jams to careers, we have a lot of options these days. And such seemingly endless options lead to uncertainty and anxiety and decision fatigue. 
As the old saying goes, a man with a watch knows what time it is. A man with two watches is never sure. (laughs) Too many options can be too much of a good thing. So by late Monday morning, I decided that God's call to us might be different than the story of Jonah or the story of Jesus and the disciples. But it is a call nonetheless. It is a call in the middle of a gaggle of voices and choices in our culture. I came to this conclusion while weeding out some old magazines, including an April 5, 2000 edition of Christian Century. I do not know why I kept those pages. Mrs. Boke has been weeding out a number of things this week, like a manual to an old cassette player that we discarded years ago. But there in the middle of this pile was an article by Miroslav Wolf where he wrote, and I printed it out for you, it's in your bulletin. We are drowning in floods of consumer goods and are drenched in showers of media images. We live a smorgasbord culture in which everything is interesting and nothing really matters. We have lost a vision of the good life, and our hopes for the future are emptied of moral content. Instead of purposefully walking to determinate places, we are aimlessly floating with random currents. If we can neither state what the gospel is nor have a clear notion of what constitutes the good life, we will more or less simply float along like jellyfish with the tide. And I thought, this describes me this Monday morning. I feel like I am a jellyfish with decision fatigue. So what's the way forward out of this? For me, it was Psalm 62 with three words that occur in that psalm. Those words are wait, pray, and obey. Wait. The writer of Psalm 62 is not in a rush to make big decisions. Instead, he says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. So often we feel pressure to make choices so quickly, whether we are rushing to declare a major in college or jumping at the first job that's offered. But when the choices are serious, we almost always have to wait. So how do we wait? We wait in silence. We wait for God. We wait for one who will give us a source of hope. The psalm writer says, God is my rock and my salvation. God is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. This is a God worth the wait. And when we wait in silence... Our trust, rock-solid God will help us shape our decisions and help us make better choices. 
Sometimes we really have to sleep on it. And then we pray. Waiting alone is not enough. Trust in God at all times. O people, pour out your heart before God, for God is a refuge for us. That's what we read. We are to pour out our hearts when we ask for guidance in our decision-making and when we pray about the options that sit before us. Taking the time to discern God's will can help us to eliminate a number of options that could lead us in the wrong direction. Imposing restraints can actually lead to a better decision. You can do this by eliminating choices that do not align with your understanding of the Bible, that is, that don't fit with your understanding of Christian ethics and theology. If a proposed option does not line up with your understanding of God's will for your life, then you can scratch that one off. If a quick look at your option indicates a choice that is unloving, a choice that is repulsive, negative, unrepentant, filled with anger toward others, then maybe you take that choice off the table when it deals with what you intend to say to your children or what you want to say to the snowplow driver who forgot to do your driveway. Letting yourself have fewer options can actually lead you to a better outcome. You're restricting the choice of creative inputs that actually enhances your creativity. And obey. After you wait and pray, it's time to obey. Put no confidence in extortion, says the psalmist. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Make sure that any decision that you make includes obedience to God and the teachings of Jesus. Sheena Inger is a professor of business at Columbia University, and she studied the relationship between the choices of religion. In particular, she looked at whether or not having a lot of choices makes you happy. She started by asking her psychology professor friend to help with this question. Wouldn't people of more fundamentalist faiths become more depressed because they have so many more rules imposed upon them and so much less choice and control over their lives? It's a very good question. To answer it, she and the psychologist surveyed people from nine different religions, from fundamentalist faith to liberal ones. Here's what they discovered. We found, in fact, she writes, that liberals were more likely to become depressed. We have found that liberals were more pessimistic about the future of their lives. That followed me for the first time that constraints on choice could give people a feeling of more control over their lives. Now, I don't want anybody to get worked up about this. If you see yourself as liberal theologically and politically, 
That's not the point. The point being made here is that when you have clear boundaries and some clearer constraints, whatever your persuasions, you're more likely to be at peace with yourself. And if those boundaries are shaped by the attitudes of Jesus, you will have some sense of direction for which to make your choices. So one of the keys to happiness is to obey the intentions of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ. You will have fewer choices, but you will end up feeling more in control of your life. Wait, pray, and obey. Our challenge is to really narrow the choice to trust in God alone. Some days that's hard. In the face of many options, there is one Lord who calls us to follow. And that Lord is the source of rest and peace. So you want some quotes to take with you? Try these. Often it is better to make a wrong decision than no decision. If you make an error, you can correct it or learn from it. In either case, you will move ahead. Alan Cohen. Indecision may or may not be my problem. (laughs) Jimmy Buffett. The risk of a wrong decision is preferable to the terror of indecision. That's the great Rabbi Maimonides. Once I make up my mind, I'm in full indecision. Oscar Levant. Indecision and delays are the parents of failure. George Canning. Wait. Pray. Obey. God said that through the psalmist. It is the antidote to the decision fatigue of all of us jellyfish. And if you think so too, there's a prayer in our bulletin we can use today. Transforming God, through the Holy Spirit, you continue to manifest the new life inaugurated at Christ's coming to earth. You call us who follow Jesus to share in your earth-renewing enterprise. May the gifts we offer now be symbols of our answer to your call. Amen.
Please be seated, friends. We have some beautiful flowers in the sanctuary, and I saw Dee Dee just a moment ago, but I don't see her now. There she is. Hi, sweetheart. Dee Dee, we give thanks for the life of your dad, and we thank you for leaving the flowers so that we can remember his beautiful, beautiful singing and the laughter that we shared yesterday at the memorial service. Uh, the family has chosen to give these flowers, and I know our caregiving team will continue to give them away, but as you can see, they're two beautiful arrangements. So if you or someone you know in your neighborhood could use a bird of paradise in this cold, wintry day, please come up afterwards and avail yourself of some of God's joy so that we might have the living memory of Bob Miller shared in many different households today. All right, well, then never mind that. Just split up the big one. <laughs> we give thanks and praise, Dee Dee. We also give thanks and praise for the life of Catherine Wagor. Many of you remember that she celebrated her 100th birthday before passing at the beginning of this year. Her memorial service will be this Saturday at 1 o'clock in our sanctuary. And we're also extending our prayers of sympathy to the family of Van Travis, who passed away earlier this week. And his memorial service will be here in this sanctuary on Friday at 11.30 a.m., followed by a luncheon to which everyone is invited to stay. We also give thanks and praise for the many ways that God moves amongst us to baptize new persons into our life. Susie, thank you for taking the video of Dylan James Gerard at Logos today on Wednesday. We really enjoyed that immersion baptism. And if you'd like to see an immersion baptism video, see me afterwards. I have it on my phone. We also give thanks and praise for Cynthia Van Hout Papura's continued rehabilitation after some elective foot surgery, and for John Truby, who had yet another million-dollar part replaced in his body, and he's doing well at Unity Hospital and will be recovering at Unity and then soon at home with the great care of his family. Friends, please join me in prayer. God of Jonah, Jesus, Paul, and the disciples, throughout the ages you have called your people to remember of your grace. We give you thanks for that which you showed at Nineveh, and we give you thanks for the promise of Jesus who continues to give us an example of how we can together wait, pray, and obey. Lord, in your mercy, strengthen us as we seek to do those things. Strengthen us as we show compassion to others. Strengthen us as we love ourselves as we love our neighbors. And may we do all this praying as your Son, our Savior, taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
charge today is one we can share. Some, like Paul, feel sudden wonder. Some are brought up in your way. Lord, no matter how we meet you, by your Spirit make us new. May we know your living presence. May we daily follow you. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.